This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? Good morning. You're listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Wong Shaning. It's 9.36 a.m. on Friday, the 16th of February. You are listening to WTF or What's the Focus? This is our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week and other news tidbits that you may have missed. And we are kicking off with a look at the Super Bowl. That's the American football equivalent of the English Premier League, for those not in the know. Uh, it's one of the biggest sporting events in the U.S. calendar. It's always held on a Sunday, and this does mean that it has the side effect of exacerbating the Monday blues, both for the losing team supporters as well as for those who are celebrating into the wee hours of Monday morning. Well, there's this thing called the Super Bowl Monday, which is actually the least productive days on the calendar, apparently. This is a number. I didn't come up with it. 16 million people are expected to skip this year of work. After, of course, the winners, Kansas City Chiefs topped the San Francisco 49ers in overtime. I have no idea. I don't understand American <laughs> football at all. All I know is Taylor Swift is dating one of them. Do you even know which team, which team the footballer um, she's dating is on? It's Kansas City Chiefs. Oh, that much good. I know because I've seen her on Instagram. <laughs> That's my claim to, to fame when it comes to American football. Um, and this is, of course, a survey done by UKG Workforce Institute. Imagine 16 million people saying, oh, I don't feel so well. I've got a bit of a tickle in my throat, a little bit of a headache. I feel the cold coming on. I think it's quite incredible because, because it's an annual event, right? That They actually have the data to be able to estimate... Uh, how much this is going to impact uh, work productivity and really uh, presence in the office. I think there have even been some discussions uh, from lawmakers to consider putting the Super Bowl on a different day or or doing the Super Bowl on a, a, on a known public holiday, mm. for example, just in order to minimize that work productivity, which is a wild conversation to have, I feel. Okay, so like you say, one suggestion is to make it a public holiday. Another suggestion is to move it to President's Day weekend. Uh, which would mean that millions of workers would have Super Bowl Monday off as a scheduled holiday. Some people say, why don't you just switch it to Saturday so that you have Sunday to recover from all the, you know, not like you were playing the game, but the tiredness of just watching it, eating those nachos. I suppose there's lots of drinking of beer and just a lot of fun. And when I look at our Malaysia, I'm, so I'm going to bring this conversation a little bit back home. Why don't they do what we do sometimes, which is to just declare a public <laughs> holiday after a fantastic outcome? I mean, it's not like we haven't done it before, right? We declared um, there was Malaysia winning the AFF Suzuki Cup in 2010. There was a public holiday after that. KL Football Club winning the Malaysian Cup. We declared a holiday in 2021. This was, of course, only for FT. Then the Johor government recently declared Sunday a special holiday to celebrate their team performance in the Malaysian Super League that was last year. So, hey, they could learn from us. Just take, <laughs> just declare a public holiday on Monday. Yes, sure. That is the answer to everything. Declare that public holiday, right? Uh, but beyond, I think, the consideration of productivity and work hits, I, I, the thing that makes the Super Bowl really interesting is the fact that it is just such a giant economic moneymaker, right? When you think about it uh, in terms of broadcasting rights uh, that the uh, NFL make, I'm going to give you some figures, right? The broadcast uh, 
surpassed or is expected to surpass 115 million viewers. Many of these are brought in by the Taylor Swift army, uh, given her relationship news. Um, it's the most watched show in U.S. history. Uh, and because of all the eyeballs on the Super Bowl, do you know how much it costs to put a 30 second ad during this event? It's seven million U.S. dollars just for a 30 second spot. That just shows how lucrative it is uh, for the advertisers and, and for the networks, really. Because you're thinking about 115 million viewers, right? That's like almost what one third of the United States population. They have something like 300 million people. So I would suppose that's the minimum, the minimum that they would really charge. What I do know is that um, even whatever is associated with the Super Bowl, even during that halftime, the performer that is on stage, there's so much hoo-ha. I've even seen like the rankings of the best ever performances. This year was Usher, right? Very good, Shoning. Yes, it was Usher. Usher's my era, excuse me, Shazana. <laughs> so I know who he is. Uh, but, you know, so it's like, I remember everybody that's anybody has always wanted to be on the stage during halftime. You've had Madonna, you've had Janet Jackson, the, the real cream of pop music. But again, this is all very American-centric. What can we say? A, a lot of what dominates uh, the American economy also uh, trickles down to the rest of us. Let's switch over to uh, a contrast from the Super Bowl slump that we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to turn over to China, yeah, where mm. some cities in China are going the extra mile to ensure that productivity doesn't take a hit during a legendary Balik Kampung migration of the Chinese New Year period. Uh, what, have, what are some cities doing? Okay, so to put this into context, China if we look at how they celebrate the well at least how people take leave uh, it's a vast country right 1.3 billion people a lot of people actually don't work where they come from so a lot of them of course work in the big cities but they actually live in the countryside now in if we rewind to post like maybe in the 1950s and 1960s there's no such thing in china as annual leave so what the government dictated was that there were going to be two periods where businesses effectively closed. One was during Chinese New Year and they allowed a minimum of one week so that people could travel across the vast country to return home. And the other one is, of course, the Golden Week, which takes place in October for the same purpose. The issue is that the Chinese economy versus the 1950s, 2024, is so very different. different, right? In 1950s, it was very agriculture-based. Very little manufacturing going on. After all, we were talking about a country that was very poor in the 1950s. You come to 2024, China is the factory of the world. And we're not talking just plastic gadgets. We're talking about semiconductor chips. Everything really that goes into your... high tech. Yeah, everything that goes into your handphones, that goes into your refrigerators, that goes into a car, that goes into a PC... The thing is, these factories cannot afford to shut down. But yet, there are, of course, people want to take that break. They want to go home, and rightly so. So how do state governments, and this is interesting, the state government steps in to ensure that factories can still produce what they need to produce during this Chinese New Year festivities. So what they've done is, of course, they aside from saying, look, we'll pay you more and recruit beyond the state, they're also willing to fly everybody back to their factories on special chartered planes to get them back into the office. I'll put this in inverted commas. ASAP. So there's no disruption to the output. No supply chain issues whatsoever. Well, I think if you're going to... I, I think that's fair. You want to your, you want your factories to keep running. You make it easy for your workers uh, to travel home and to come back. Uh, that seems quite a sensible idea. And I guess the... Uh, 
the thing is whether more uh, local governments or whether more companies will consider doing that uh, something to watch, I suppose. Yeah, but the thing, the longer term solution that some people argue that China should consider is to actually, especially, this is more for the government linked companies, right? The SOE, state owned enterprises, to actually consider what most other developed countries have, which is to have a leave system hmm. rather than close down the whole country for a week in, you know, for Chinese New Year and then another week in October. Because that's not how businesses operate today. So let people make their own decisions in terms of when they want to take the time off. But I would say even then, you're going to have some disruption during Chinese New Year because everybody, everybody wants to take a break. It's called Chinese New Year for a reason, right? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Well, speaking of, we were talking about China, we're going to turn our attentions now to India because the farmers are on the march again in India. And if we recall back in 2020 and 2021, there were these massive farmers' protests uh, that forced the government government to withdraw amendments to overhaul the agricultural economy. It seems that a history is repeating itself because the farmers are amassing again. But what are they what are they protesting this time around? Well, what they want is something called the minimum support price. Let's call it MSP. So they want to increase, they want a 50% premium to whatever it costs them to produce basically two commodity products, which is wheat and rice. You're, it's one of those issues where economists know any controlled price mechanism is not great, right? There are unintended consequences. But the farmers will argue that if without this MSP, they would actually be having an extremely tough time uh, because, of course, commodity prices fluctuate. So they're hoping that this MSP will give them a minimum standard of living. And I think it is not helped by Modi's promises that farmers' incomes would actually rise by, I think it was 50% by a certain year. And of course... That hasn't been achieved. But these MSPs in, in some way encourage farmers to perhaps grow crops which are not suitable for that area or for the current climate, climate, climate. because like let's say rice requires a lot of water. But currently India might be having a certain periods of drought. So mm. it doesn't make any sense. So MSP kind of distorts all this. That is so interesting and it really puts the government in a pickle, right? Uh, especially given that elections are just around the corner in India and farmers uh, happen to be a really big, how to say, constituent uh, of, of Modi. And it, how do you do that, right? How do you set the policy that will bring your country into a new era without also, or at least helping to reduce the pain points that uh, certain groups are going to feel? Okay, so also to put some context in terms of how disruptive this is, Police have barricaded most of the roads into Delhi since Monday, setting up concrete blocks, shipping containers, nail pads, trenches to prevent these thousands of farmers into entering the capital. And apparently Modi is sticking firm this time. He's not backing down. All right, we'll be watching that. And it's not just in India. I do want to add that farmers' protests have been taking place in Europe as well over concerns that uh, climate change regulations is also impacting their bottom line. I think these are trends that we're going to be watching uh, throughout the year. It's 9.47 a.m. Um, we're going to head into some messages and we'll come back with a look at more stories from the week. Stay tuned to WTF BFM 89.9. 9.48 a.m. You're listening to The Morning Run and this is WTF or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show of the stories that have caught our attention this week. We're turning our, uh, we were talking, I think, this week about uh, the Pesta Democracy in Indonesia. Uh, it was the focus of global attention because of the Indonesian elections there. Uh, but where Malaysian democracy is concerned, perhaps we shouldn't really be partying on our end. Why because not? Because the latest edition of the EIU Democracy Index 
has come out this week. And uh, our ranking has pretty much plateaued at 40th in the world and 6th in Asia, while our overall score actually fell to 7.29 from 7.3 the year prior. So a 0.1% mm. decrease, but still a decrease when you think about it. So not no reason to celebrate. I think the other thing is that we are still considered what they say is a flawed democracy. Now, all this is according to the 2023 Economist Intelligence Unit Democracy Index, which was released this week. The good news is, ladies and gentlemen, we are the highest ranking country in Southeast Asia at 40th. Other Southeast Asian countries are Timor-Leste at 45, which I think is admirable because they are one of what one of the newest countries in the world, youngest countries in the world. Philippines at 53, Indonesia is 56, Thailand is 63, I love this, Singapore is 69, Vietnam is 136, Laos is 159, and guess who's at the bottom? The one and only Myanmar at 166. Now, um, what do you mean when you have flawed democracy? What are the things that they look at? Has to be have free and fair elections, basic civil rights, there must be governance, uh, there must be a developed political culture and high levels of political participation. I guess to put into context also, uh, just eight, only 8% of the countries in the out of 167 countries in this uh, ranking are considered full democracy. Yeah, so it's sure. actually a very tiny um, subset of the countries. I, I think the majority are probably flawed democracies um, of some sort. Uh, and yeah, I think it really does warrant uh, looking more deeply into uh, the strengths and weaknesses that Malaysia has in terms of the different uh, democratic pillars, because democracy can be measured in so many different ways. Yeah. Uh, so while uh, we were pretty good in areas like uh, electoral processes and pluralism, um, and we have seen some, uh, I think, improvements in, in that front, uh, other areas definitely need more attention. And we can't be complacent just because we're doing well in one area doesn't mean, OK, we're good. No, there's so many other different uh, areas that we need to really uh, identify and improve on. I think the EIEU also noted that uh, generally there has been some regression in Asia. A lot of it has been focused on the erosion of civil liberties and governments cite concerns about national security and social cohesion to justify restrictions on freedom of speech and the media. So I think that's an interesting point to find, to uh, to highlight, actually. I think you can think about mm. trends of that sort in a lot of the countries um, in our region. I mean, just looking at the Indonesia elections as well, I think there have been concerns raised about um, whether uh, President Joko Widodo has actually been good for Indonesian democracy, whether they're seeing a return uh, to a more authoritarian style of leadership with the um, eventual, uh, I suppose, president being a former uh, defense mm. uh, strongman. Um, I think these are all trends to keep an eye on. Uh, but the important thing is that checks and balances should be there so that there's no one uh, institute or one figure or one party holding all of the power in a country. Yeah, and I think when you look at these surveys, you can say, oh, you know, this is done by EIU. It's it's not a fair one. Does it have a very Western bias in terms of what's the concept of a democracy? These, these values don't apply to an Asian country like Malaysia. Okay, we can go down that rabbit hole and have a whole lot of a discussion about it. But the point clearly is there are always areas for growth in terms of establishing um, the institutions of democracy, encouraging those values. I think regardless of whatever is your race, religion, it should be something we should aspire to as a country, right? Improve on our score. Um, of course, along the way, we might actually be adjusting it. 
But it's, it's a, a process. Yeah, it's a it process and a journey, and there really is no end point. Uh, we just need to keep on working on it, keep on plugging at it in any case. Um, all right, in the little bit of time that we have, let's take a look at uh, some uh, stories or some discussions that have been circulating on social media. Mm. I mean, this week may have been Valentine's Day, uh, but social media posts over the long Chinese New Year weekend seem to show Malaysia at its smallest and poorest of heart, to be honest. Okay, so for some context, right, there were lots of, I think there was TikTok videos, there was uh, posts on X, there were posts on Facebook. It was just basically all on social media, particularly focusing on a few areas in Kuala Lumpur being KLCC and also the areas nearer Chinatown, which showed that a lot of our migrant workers were having enjoying themselves on the first day of Chinese New Year because it's a public holiday for them too. And some Malaysians were not happy about that. And they were saying, why are all these people here? You know, why are they crowding out all these areas? Which I, for the life of me, could not figure out why is that an issue? Why are we picking on them? They are on holiday just like we are on holiday. Why can't they enjoy the sights and scenery of Kuala Lumpur on their day off? It is quite a blatant uh, show of really xenophobia and racism when those types of comments come out because we really do need to remember that uh, Malaysia's economy runs very much on the migrant labour force. We we need uh, people to come and work on uh, on developing the country and we cannot expect them to be invisible. You know, no. these are people who have left families, their lives at home to come here to make a better living. And I think we need to respect that and to also give them the same dignity um, and rights that they would that they should have. And to be very honest, they work extremely hard, right? And, you know, they, they some of them work six days a week or the whole week, you know, in very long hours. Why are they, why should they de- be denied leisure time just like us? And leisure time in the same places that we enjoy. Public spaces that are meant to be enjoyed by the community. Our community is made up of loads of different people, uh, Malaysians and non-Malaysians alike. And uh, from the social media pictures, they weren't doing anything. They were just enjoying the sights and sounds. They were not disruptive at all. So categorizing people, I find, is something that Malaysians, I mean, I shouldn't speak so broadly or generally, but we should move away from that. It's very, very disheartening when you see these types of discussions gaining traction on social media and it just showing the, how to say, the lack of charity, the the lack of um, generosity as well of Malaysians. It really does take a, a mind shift uh, and a cultural shift uh, to, to change that. I thought our tagline is Mohiba. Mohiba means everybody, you know not just who we want to be part of this Mohiba. Indeed. Well, that is all the time that we have this morning for WTF. It's 9.56 a.m. We're going to be heading into the 10 a.m. news bulletin and then it's over to Enterprise. This has been BFM, well, this still is BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.